You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about my growler, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian. With me, as always, a man, when asked how he felt about this week's podcast, says, I'm feeling a lot better than Bob Bradley. Say hey to everybody, Harrison Crow. You can't hold me out of this one. This is a cup final. Yeah, you just got to gotta play it. You can't hold anything back. You cup play final season, Harrison. This is it. This is the Super Bowl of MLS. You know what's sad is I hate referring it to it to that, but, but it when I talk is. to but but when I talk to my friends and I talk, you know, I have a lot of friends that are not you know sport. They they call me the sports guy, sporto sports guy, sports uh, ball guy. Yeah, I get yeah. friends like that. They're the worst. Yeah, yeah, and so this is how I've explained it to them, and I I hate myself for doing it, but it's the only way. I hate that that's the pinnacle. Like that's that's how we describe this game. Well, because it's not, it's not like. Well, the thing is, is like the, I think that metaphor is like it, it. Super Bowl is like a cultural event more than just a football game. So it doesn't really, it doesn't really fit in that sense because I don't think MLS Cup is a cultural event outside of like some Twitter banter. No, but I, I do think that, uh, and especially with how soccer is as a community type st- uh, style sport. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's a it is very niche, so it has like it's I can't believe I said niche. Uh, so I I think it's really funny the way that it draws this really select group of people together, and yeah. even more so when this happens because you have more of those select individuals from around the country kind of congregating in one central location um that happens like twice a year and so i do think for our culture and and, you know narrow it down to our culture which is a a niche component of of an already niche right (laughs) it's not a big community that we have so so would we call this the mini bowl yeah this is like the this is the soccer bowl just bring back soccer bowl i like soccer bowl from the nasl um it's been a couple of weeks, and I want to explain. No, yeah, to yeah, do what that, happened. please. So, uh, before the conference finals, we recorded a podcast, and I was very like, I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. I was mocked by Harrison for saying that it was going to be Seattle and Toronto. Like I said that over and over again, Harrison, big time, just like you're an idiot, blah 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 blah. <laughs> Uh, so he didn't want it released. He didn't want it released because of vanity. Um, you know, that's just kind of one of the things. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, what happened was that we did record one, and uh, we both were <laughs> said a lot of very wrong things. Uh, and then, uh, as it turned out, like it didn't, it wasn't even ready to like do some technical stuff. Like it wasn't even ready to post until like a day after the conference finals, and it seemed kind of stupid to post a day after this to post wrong predictions about it <laughs> so i i didn't want to argue with you and casey about this because i think that it's it, I, I you guys are the creative control for this yeah. and I, I think that it's really important to allow you guys have your lane me personally i like being wrong to some extent i mean i, I have don't. my ego i you know i like to be right too yeah but being wrong helps us learn and i don't think that there's anything in and of itself like why were we wrong we weren't necessarily wrong. That's because, true. Because what we all outlined, and, and I, this is why I kind of wish that it was posted. Like Everything that we outlined, we outlined why and how Toronto and Seattle both could win. We both di- didn't think Greg Vanny or Brian Schmetzer would do it. Well, and listen, I will say that more than being wrong, it was just like the fact that it was like a discussion about something that already happened. Sure. And it was no, wrong. Totally like, those two things combined made me think like, I don't really see that this is going to add a lot to the uh, conversation. I, I do want to throw right it out. I, I, you probably mentioned it later, but you wrote a really good uh, article for Sounder at Heart where you kind of your your introduction was basically kind of how the Sounders got here. 
And I think it was really, um, it was short, but it was really precise in the context of it doesn't prove that the numbers were wrong. No. Just something different happened. And that's yeah, okay. It's okay. Like, I, I think that a lot of people sort of, and maybe like we've, maybe like I'm just straw manning a lot here. I don't know. But I feel like there is a sense when something like this happens that people go like, well, your numbers are stupid then. Like, look how wrong it was. And it's like the numbers were wrong and they just weren't. It's just like the unlikely things happened, and that's it, still possible. That's the it's, fun thing about sports. This is why we watch sports. Well, like, and, and that that should make you that should make you covet like what exactly happened. Like that should make you put this up and say and help demonstrate how crazy the, the what I think you said three and a half percent was the probability that both Toronto and Seattle won I like did, that I did math on compound probabilities Harrison that, that that's that that should blow your mind yeah. that's us getting this matchup which already is an interesting matchup the probability of that outcome not just from that match from those two matchups but when you think about the greater whole even yeah. like a month ago that blows my mind and this is why it's so much fun and those that's what you're saying cuz those odds are higher than they would have been 3 weeks ago right yes <laughs> because like back then like like everybody had a smaller share of the of the, of the odd space and i, I didn't even think I, sh- I thought about it, but i didn't even do it because it would have been too much of a hassle but man to then say like these three three years out of four this oh, is like w- what you get we're talking very unlikely and that's what's beautiful about sports that's what's great about it like we we watch these people do unlikely things all the time that's why we watch it like it's like Nico Ladero and Raul Ruiz Diaz are taking unlikely shots against LAFC. <laughs> there they go. They're going in. That's why we watch the sport. The numbers aren't wrong. Those weren't great shots to take. You wouldn't pick them. Like if I if I showed you fifteen of them inside the box or that one out there, you'd be like, I'll take one of the closer ones, obviously. But they worked, and that's why I watch sports. So well, and, and you can also say that to some extent, those shots were also probably underrated by expected goals because of the transitionary points, right? Yeah. So, and like, if I was writing, it's a baller. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. But you can say that looking at it from, and and we'll get to Toronto here in a little bit. But if we're, if I was to write uh, an expected, uh, you know article this week those goals are prime examples on why transitionary attacks are so important because you you know uh atuesta just kind of got stuck in no man's land like his position his positional awareness was just terrible on both those those first two goals from seattle and ultimately sometimes that's all you need is to get a guy a little bit stuck in that no man's land and it look even the best players, I argued on this podcast what a month ago he should be up for defender of the year, and look and look what happened. I mean, that's this just what happened. Sometimes you don't execute, and sometimes you get stuck in really bad situations, and that I think it just illustrates. And, and people say numbers, you know, take away the beauty from the game. I think it underlines it. I'm a big believer that numbers just bring more, um, more bring more color to um to understand what's going on and what's happening in this I think game. I heard I think it was Malcolm Gladwell on a podcast one time uh talking about this very thing um and, and he had such a, a weird take on it to me like it just was like wow that's such a weird way to feel but he was just like I remember when Butler made that improbable run to yeah. you know he was talking about how he was like watching that like as a statistician like I was outraged <laughs> He was like, <laughs> he was like, they're supposed to be a forty percent shooting team, and they're shooting forty nine percent. Like that's that's not fair. That's not good. <laughs> He's like, if I were the other team, I would be outraged. Like I didn't like watching that. And I was like, okay, that's an interesting point, and I do get it to some degree because it does make you like this isn't supposed to be happening. But like at the same time, that's what brings the joy. Like that's what makes it so interesting. And uh, you know, obviously, having a rooting interest in one way or the other will affect that more than than anything for well, you I personally mean, out there. But like, it's a it's a very like it's two different ways to look at it. And I want to, I always want to be on the side that's not Malcolm Gladwell. Well, okay, fair enough. But at the same time, you know, you know, switch it over to Toronto and Malcolm Gladwell, and I would have been really angry if I was an Atlanta fan. Oh, like, absolutely. absolutely. That like that is exact. That's a quiz essential. Like I would have been irate 
They yeah. they they played terrible. Every measurement says that that Atlanta should have won that game. Um, it really the feeling watching that game was that Atlanta should have won that game, and yet um, you have Nick just Nick DeLeon. Nick Delone uh, at the top of the eighteen do this half turn, and there's no way he thought that was going in. There's a funny like. One of the things I saw like about that goal that cracks me up is like everyone was just like all over Atlanta as defenders. Like, look at this defending. It's like, look at that shot. Like, I'll let him have that any day. <laughs> like, oh, you want to shoot with like from oh, like six yards behind the thing with like your back turned? Like, go ahead, dude. And to call, I, I understand like the the underlying. This is me on my podcast being able to say the stuff that because I, if I said this to anyone, I think they would just absolutely ambush. But to call that that like a match winner and be like, he's a match winner. This is what difference makers do. No, it's not. <laughs> it was the most very lucky. No, it was exceedingly lucky. And you know what? Credit for him just to take a shot and create something. Because ultimately, that's what has to happen in those types of games. You just have to have a shot that's created. And for Toronto, like, they weren't creating much else. Like, that was what, like, they needed to do things like that. Like, that was how they were going to, like, they had to take low percentage efforts at things. Boy, did it pay off. And, you know, Atlanta, like, can be mad. And, like, that's totally understandable. And I get it. But, you know, you missed that penalty. Like, that game should have been over in, like, minute four. Yeah, that's that, <laughs> that, that's very true. And I think most people watching that game kind of felt like it was over at that point in time. Like, I... I had it on. I was getting ready. I was kind of doing other things. And as soon as that happened, I basically walked out and I kind of shut the door. I had other things going on. I had real life work that was happening. Yeah. And I, I, I just I took it for up, granted. I had queued up a really snarky, mean tweet about Toronto. And I was going to send it. But then, like, he saved the penalty. I was like, all right, maybe hold off, Ian. Maybe hold off <laughs> on the snark. And sure enough, Nicholas Benazay, who's that guy everybody forgot Toronto signed, equalizes. And then, God. Nick DeLeon, just turn around, rock it into the top left corner. What can you do about it? Um, but <laughs> on the other hand, uh, I think if we look at like uh, the other final, um, I don't feel like Seattle came out of that like super lucky. I think they kind of just beat LAFC. No, I think that's totally fair. And I get like people are going to look at the XG models and be like, well, it's pretty close. It is. It is. But at the same time, you have to think about the shots. Number one, the majority of LA shots were in compact, close quarters, uh, with possession, um, trying to create stuff, right? It wasn't like it was some orchestrated through the lines opportunities like they were doing to LA Gal- to the LA Galaxy. To everybody. And really to everybody, right? Including but, Seattle a couple times. <laughs> more than a couple times. But they Seattle kept them kept the ball in front of them. They did the things. They got lucky a couple times. More than a couple times probably with Ariaga and some hard fouls. Uh, I, I will totally side with I think there was a couple different people who said outside of a playoff game those are definitely a cardable fences and be a, maybe a penalty and I think that's totally that's totally factual right mm-hmm. the referee didn't want to be the person m- making those calls that are going to be game changing calls sometimes you, remember, you get in those situations do you remember when the Seattle Seahawks won the Super Bowl vaguely um, I only bring this up. I, it's just ironic because it's also Seattle. But uh, one of the things that they talked about after all that was that, that year, one of the strategies they were where they employed was just sort of like uh, hand checking at the line, just do it every play because like they're not going to call it every time. Just dare the official to be that guy, uh, and it worked out really, really well for them. See, and I'm so. That's an interesting take because I'm usually the opposite side of that. Uh, yeah. I am don't allow the referee to be the one that impacts the the play. That that's always kind of been my mantra when I played. Mm-hmm. Um, play it clean, and if you get beat, if they beat you, they beat you. Don't be the person that. But that's kind of an interesting call because you're right. To some extent, they're not going to call it on every single play. But I feel like the more times that you do it, the the higher the probability is that they call it. On a big play, yeah. So I don't but, know. You know it's, they it's, won the they won the MLS Cup of football. So 
<laughs> really disagree. Uh, let me take a stat from that game that I find interesting, Harrison. Carlos Vela, two shots. Yeah. One of which was from way outside the box, not troubling anybody. The other one blocked pretty pretty easily. Wasn't that scary? I'm pretty sure Diego Rossi had two shots and one key pass himself. Yeah. Uh, for a combined XG total of less than 0.3. We saw that. Recall. We saw that LAFC became a much weaker team when Carlos Vela was injured, and not on the field. Um, what we had not seen was a team just neutralize Carlos Vela like that. It's true. It's. I want to be clear. Like it, it, it's not like they killed them. Like I guess like there's obviously an element of fortune in all of this, but Seattle. Like one of the things in like the last episode that I talked about was how Brian Schmetzer wasn't going to change anything, and that yeah. was essentially what was going to cause them to lose. And he didn't really change anything. <laughs> I disagree. He changed I, like a little bit. He 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 finagled it, but like he didn't do like any of the big changes. I was saying like, oh, like do a back five, do a three five, do something crazy. You got you got to switch it up. Well, and you know, I, I I also suggested possibly doing something to that effect, but it's they did the same. They they pretty much did the same thing that we talked about using the the same formation, right? Um, Brad Smith still got forward. Ariaga slipped wide, and they had Svensson um, really, really sitting in front of all that space in front of Vela. Uh, it, they did a great job. They controlled that central midfield. They pushed them wide. And that they just weren't able to recover. They yeah. weren't able to penetrate that those zones right in front. And I say those zones. There's multiple zones in front of the 18, right? It wasn't just like they couldn't get into zone 14. They, they couldn't get into any of them. They couldn't. Yeah. They really, the central area in front of the 18 just was predominantly void. They they disrupted, they pushed wide, and then once they pushed wide, LAFC was left with, you know, low leverage opportunities that they weren't satisfied with taking. And you could see it when they had to take it. You could see almost it was almost contempt for, well crap, this is what I have. Yeah. It's a very interesting because I think when you see Seattle kind of play sometimes, like earlier in the season, like they tend to have a very fluid sort of formation, even defensively. Um you know, I think that there's a lot of confidence in those players, and uh, I see them kind of move around. But, like they were so like well defined in their roles. Like if you look at their heat yes. maps, like they're all just like right where the lineup said they should be. <laughs> like nobody went too crazy. Like, and that was really really interesting to see. And that that kind of that well, that's sort of another variation, right? That's another that's another variation and validation for us that that Schmetzer changed. Right? They weren't l- loose. They and their high press was excellent. Yeah, it was. Like we've talked we talked about that. I mean, we've talked about it a couple times on this podcast how it would be nice to see them do more with that high press because the underlying numbers has shown that they've been pretty successful when they've employed it uh, sparingly. Yeah. Right? Um so it's just talking it all for this. I guess I it's guess the long it, con. It, it, so I ha- I have a question to you because it was brought up earlier in the week um on another podcast. Matt Doyle basically said he wasn't confident that the Sounders would want the ball going into MLS Cup against Toronto. And I felt that was exceedingly strange. I don't know why that would be. Um, I mean, I know that he, I, I guess what he's probably basing it on is just that, you know, the last two MLS Cup finals, like Seattle didn't really get beat. Well, they won one. Um, and they didn't get beat as badly in the scoreline as, as the actual places suggest by not having it. Um, but I don't, I don't think that that's what this team is going to do. Um, I, uh, I mean, I would look more at, so uh, it like, was, it's been suggested that the, the last third of the season, the Sounders have become more of a counterattacking team. And I feel like the times that they've been counterattacking teams, it's either been A, on the road, or B, because they couldn't ma- p- maintain possession through the middle. Yeah. And, and I feel like, especially like you look at RSL, RSL was more of a happy accident. And, and I don't mean to be, you know, look, Toronto had its fair share of happy accidents along the way here. You're here, you're here. 
But going into a game against Toronto, it seems like if they're going to try to take possession, I feel like, yes, Seattle should absolutely be happy with letting them have the bulk of it and then counterattacking. But I don't envision that being the Seattle philosophy. I feel like it's almost an indignant, almost kind of an air of... uh, pride like yes we can play with 60 percent of possession and we will play you know awesomely with it i think if you were to like ask like brian schmetzer like you know one-on-one like did it bother you that you didn't get a shot on goal that one time you won like did that that little weird stat hangs over your head i think he'd probably say like a little bit yeah (laughs) i don't think they want to have that kind of game again um i was just looking at uh, i pulled up they played a match earlier this season in Seattle, um, and uh, Toronto took 56.2% of possession. Uh, Seattle took 43.8 and won 3-2. So they will know that they can find some success there in that way if they wanted to. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit different team lineup-wise. Like, that was Will Bruin's last hurrah. Um, he scored two. Altidore was with Toronto. Then he scored two. Um, so I don't know if I, it, it, it's an exact kind of comparison that you can make, especially considering the stakes, but, um, I don't know. I, I could see them sitting back. I, I just, I, I could see a credible reason for it. I, I could see like them saying, no, this is why I want to do it. And I'd be like, oh, okay. But I, I, I can't predict that. I don't think that that's what they're going to try to do. Yeah. Um, I'm, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, it just, it rubbed me that maybe I might have overlooked, right? Like, so like what we talked about getting to something wrong, it makes you kind of wonder, okay, did I get it wrong? Because obviously they have a bag of tricks and I just overlooked that. Or did I get it wrong because they legitimately came out and did something that Surprised us. Was a low pro that was a surprise, but it was a low probability that they were actually going to do. Yeah. Did, does that make sense? It does. It does. So I, I would say that it's a very um I don't know. I, 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 I do believe just based on the posturing beforehand and what Brian Schmetzer has said, I I think he's gonna I think he's gonna dig in. Uh let me ask you this question before we move on to the other the other conference. Uh so this is going to be the thing, right? Uh, do you want, if you're Brian Spencer, do you play Roman Torres or uh, Ariaga? Oh, Ar- Ariaga. Oh, 100%. But like, what if like the ref isn't so lenient this time? I mean, like you're talking well, about a guy that like in his last two regular season games got sent off. Uh, and he was riding that line a bit against LAFC. You know, he, he managed to keep it, you know, enough in check. Uh, but, but surely this, this, this must give you some pause. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it does. Um, and, and I'd love to hear your counter, uh, for this, but my thought process is this, and I think I've told you this before. So if I'm ba- repeating myself on the podcast or just repeating this between you and I, excuse me. So, um, Ariaga has a lot of athleticism. He makes a lot of bad decisions, but he has a lot of athleticism, mostly to recover from those bad decisions. Um, Roman Torres makes a lot of bad decisions, maybe equal to that of Ariaga. I think they're close. I think Ariaga's athleticism is the difference between those two. Now, I, I will totally grant you that uh, Torres has experience, and I, I think sometimes when we look at raw numbers, we discount uh, experience in these situations. There's a lot of times people like me have kind of uh, poo-pooed things like that, things that, yeah, that we can't too. necessarily measure. I think that they are things to consider. That being said, I feel like Ariaga in this instance uh, is just a better decision, especially when you start talking about the fact that most of those attackers that are going to give them problems are probably going to be uh, individuals that don't have pace, that don't have, um, they're, they're going to be guys that are going to hold the ball. And, and I think that his athleticism gives him a one up on them. I think he's a better uh, defender than Roman Torres. So that's why I would pick him. Um, yeah, I think he, he, he was really good in the LAFC game. Like you can say, Oh, well he 
almost got yellow card. He didn't. <laughs> he did his job really well other than that. Um, and I don't think Roman Torres... I don't think that game goes that way if Roman Torres is there in that middle gap there, trying to plug that up and chase those guys around. So um, I would be surprised to see them go back to Torres, but... Um, I don't think you can... I don't think you can make a... I will say this. I don't think you can make a determination on which center back starts based off of what happened in LAFC or RSL or even Dallas. You don't think like how you did the last game plays a part in Spencer's mind? Um, I, I, I mean, it's hard to say what's in Brian Schmetzer's mind. Like yeah. I've, I've met the guy once and you know, <laughs> we didn't have any, some uh, great powwow, right? Like it wasn't like talk about Torres versus Ariaga. No, I, I, amazingly enough. No, it never happened that way. But here's the, here's the situation. You're going to have to look at who has the skill sets in general mm-hmm. to take on this. And I will say Roman Torres isn't going to get beat probably by anyone on the attack, right? He's not. There, there's uh, Toronto doesn't have this uh, cachet of defenders that are going to um, just absolutely kick it over your head and run past you. However, um, we did see uh, a specific NYC defender make a really bad decision in the box. And if you were to ask me who that would be, Ariaga or Torres on that side, um, I'd be inclined to say that that would be more Torres than it would be Ariaga. I think Ariaga would hack him down before he got into the box. Yeah, no, he'd still hack him. <laughs> it just wouldn't happen in the box. <laughs> He's wily like that. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think it's going to be Ariaga. I, I, I hope to see Ariaga. Um, I, I, I have been sort of un... Um, I don't know the right word for it. Uh, unconvinced. Uh, since he came over, uh, but slowly but surely, I've seen him put in some really good shifts here and there, and uh, I think that I think that one might work out for Seattle in a couple of years. I, I think it might not be right away, and it might not be next year uh, that he's going to be like that guy that they had, and like a Chad Marshall, or um, you know, like at, at his, you know, the most, he is like, more physically tools dependent. Yeah, like, but I think it might be the right kind of center back for them going forward in this this new MLS we have. Oh, let's take a quick. Uh, <laughs> This is what I was going to ask you about. Uh, let's take a quick intermission before we go to to the east side and talk about this. Um, I can't find the tweet right now, uh, but it said basically that uh, – I don't remember even who said it, so sorry out there. Uh, <laughs> after the, the results said, MLS 2.0 is holding on for dear life. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to say because – I don't. I realize I don't even know what that means now. Like, what is what is MLS three What is MLS two Yeah. So the lines kind of get uh, are kind of blurry, and, and if you ask one person, it's going to be different than the next person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. Honestly, I could probably. My opinion of MLS two is more of the expansion. Um, era years although that might even be 2.5 uh so i don't know that it's 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 all about who uh who you talk to right uh right because it's like mls 1.0 was like mls the start mls mm -hmm. 2.0 was like people showing up to games and like i don't know even know if that's fair right like i do you define when your league starts by when you start actually filling in filling up the stadiums well, I, I don't think that there's like an official designation for MLS 2.0, but I'm just saying like I think the general idea was that like once Seattle and some of these newer expansion teams started coming over and like actually people started like showing up to games, like I think that's some people said like this is a different MLS now. Well, it definitely is a different MLS, but my other question would be, and this was you know talking kind of tweeting back and forth this uh, this morning with uh, with a few different people, specifically Zach Goldman, about um, you know these past. Uh, eras of MLS and where you, where you put that delineation of of, uh, of that line and it's a little bit hard because right at the beginning like what 2000 2001 you have contraction or 2002 mm-hmm. you have contraction but along with that uh contraction you also have a change in the way that the game is played in terms of you know wins and losses how do point how are points you know totaled uh you know how do are tied games decided you know these impact how you view teams at the end of the season, because look, nobody's going to remember, Hey, they had six 
games that, you know, this team had six games that went into extra time and they got three points versus one point because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really hard to start delineating between MLS 1.0, 2.0. I think you kind of have to judge teams within the era that they exist in. And I think to try to compare like the Miami Fusion to LAFC, it becomes really hard and convoluted because we all have different criteria. And if you think about it in today's era, we know way more about these teams on a much deeper and dynamic level than what we even knew like back then let alone if we were to try to start digging up information now it's almost more like a culture shift though isn't it like than like an actual like i don't always think of it as like a tactical shift i kind of think of it as like a this is when like this happened and this is like when there was like a new sort of i don't know like you could also say like tam was like another era like you started getting better players in that Um, i do think though that there's been multiple tactical shifts within mls so, I mean, even even if you wanted to make the delineation between tactical shifts within MLS, I think you could probably do that, too. So, let me ask you this. Uh, no matter what, if we just say MLS 3.0 is Atlanta, which is just what? Just fans plus spending a lot of money on players? I'm inclined to even say that that's like 4.0. That's 4.0. <laughs> Aren't Toronto and MLS 3.0? I mean, come on. Like, they spend more money no, on players because, than anybody. Uh, well, uh, mm, yeah, t- w- but that's TAM, right? Like, you look at all the players that they add, like Victor Vasquez and, and so fo- so on and so forth. Uh, the the players that they added were all all through TAM. Yeah, but, like, their payroll is the highest, isn't it? Yeah, but, I mean, that's because they overpay both Josie Altador and Michael Bradley. I mean... Listen, they don't get... I mean... <laughs> I, I mean, look, so, they're good okay. players, but Bye. no, okay, so, no so, one else in this league is going to pay my, Michael Bradley $6.5 million. That's not a tradable contract. That might be the most unmovable contract in all of MLS. And if they team. win, that is amazing. Yeah, that, that is what, like, that's the reward is they get that contract. Because that completely, I mean, I don't think this has been really discussed. Everybody's talked about, you know, his contract, and I've heard it discussed on a few different podcasts, but nobody's talked about the fact that if Toronto wins, that's going to set their team back. It really will. They don't get to add another designated player, and they're spent, they spend another year, unless they try to, you know, like, LA Galaxy and sign somebody and with the promise of, of in multiple years, you're, you're going to get paid on the back end. Um, but I, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if you're going to bring in a big enough name to, to do that. But, I, yeah, I feel like Toronto's not is a great like situation. buying good players with money. <laughs> Like, really, like, better players that you haven't heard of. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe, like, I thought maybe the South American thing is sort of like the the aging Euro stars. Like, maybe that's what people are saying is the new MLS 3.0. You know what? This yeah, is no, I get it. Because, you know, MLS 1.0 is, would be the, be the American player. And mm-hmm. MLS 2.0 would be the retirement European. And ML, uh, 3.0 would be the... Uh, the young upstart South American. But I mean, if that's the case, don't you say that that started maybe right before um, the Sounders, right around the Sounders time? Because I mean, you had quite a few like Fabian Espindola and, you know, Freddie Montero. Morales. Well, Morales was a little bit more, I think, I feel like Morales is a little bit more of a known quantity, but maybe that's just my feeling. You might be right on that. Well, either way, I think that this is a pretty – I don't think that this is like – I don't. I, I guess my thing I was just going to say is I don't really think that, that that's a cool narrative. Like I don't really like that very much. <laughs> like these don't feel like throwback teams to me like in any sense of the word. And uh, I don't know. Like No, I don't I don't think so either. Like these – like they both have young, exciting players on these rosters and like they just aren't Atlanta and LAFC. But if that's what MLS 3.0 is and Miami and whatever is forthcoming down the road – uh, I suppose it doesn't meet that definition, but I don't know. I thought it was a funny thought that like uh, spending and ambition and like everything like that is what made MLS 3.0 different. And I was like, this teams, these teams spend a lot of money. They um, do. <clears throat> all right, let's talk more about Toronto Football Club. Uh, we've hinted a little bit. The Reds. 
the Reds, uh, Kings of the North. I don't know what their playoff hashtag is. You're you you're gonna make our friend Anna very sad that you said that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, don't finish last place. Um, <laughs> Anna's a, a Vancouver fan and the most optimistic Vancouver fan on the planet. And we uh, we admire her for that, but you know, we have to be realistic too. Uh, I don't really know what to say about Toronto. I, I think that they're a very, um, they're a strange team right now, aren't they? They're, they're kind of, um, there, there's a lot of pieces to this team and I don't really know which ones fit, which ways and which ways are the best ways to fit them together. Uh, but this doesn't look like the Toronto of two years ago that was so overwhelmingly dominant. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Very, very Yes. Uh, I mean, I think you've got, you know, maybe I I don't think there's any player that fits the mold of Javinko, uh, just because I don't think that that archetype is really going to be something that teams are really seeking at this point. Um, you know, just like that guy to carry the entire load. Uh, but, but, you know, Pozuelo is an outstanding player. Um, you know, you've still got <clears throat> basically... Bradley's doing the thing, and then you've got like a backline with Lawrence Simon and Omar. And you know what? Now I know why they're talking about MLS 2.0. <laughs> Lawrence Simon and Omar Gonzalez. Uh, I think you've got some underappreciated outside backs with Oro and Moro. I think those are both great players. Osario and Delgado are a very like underappreciated little core there in the center of the field. Um, and then, uh, you know, depending on what's going to happen with Josie or not, I think it kind of depends on how this team is going to sort of try to get things done. Someone kind of made the, and I forget who it was, but they made the comparison of Toronto. Uh, the rules between Tor- Toronto and Seattle have kind of flip flopped, right? Like Toronto is the team that's on the road that has you know their their star injured that's that can't might play in this game, but it's probably uh, going to be minimal uh, in Josie Altador. And then you have Pozuelo, who's new to the league, that's kind of. Uh, kind of run the show in the Nicholas Ladero type role. Oh, I Look, Pozuelo has been awesome. And, and there's been times that he's been, um, honestly, I think that he's been the best player in this league, but I think they're few and far between. Like, I think that he has that gear that pushes him into the, into Carlos Vela territory. But the problem is, is that it's so few and far between. And sometimes I think that, he does one thing too much and that's you know he's looking to get on the ball if he doesn't have control of the ball he doesn't have a part in the game and i think that's really dangerous in today's in today's era of how we do tactics you you need multifaceted players and so with that being said you know you have guys like jonathan osario and, and marky delgado who are almost uh bigger role players for this team at this stage because of all that they do not just with the ball but also off the ball right and don't 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 let me you know underestimate what Delgado's done with on the ball Delgado should absolutely be in the U.S. men's national team pool and the fact that he hasn't gotten more uh more people talk more talking heads about what he's done I'm sure I've been really even surprised that we haven't even mentioned heard his name mentioned much uh, in the lead up to a camp that's following MLS Cup in which he's playing, well, but, yeah, he um, can't. That's why he's not going to be there, though. Anyway. No, 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 sure, but I mean the fact that people aren't saying, "Oh, well, you know, he can't be there," but he should definitely be a guy that's included on this roster. You know, yeah. he. Sh- I don't hear any of that. I don't see it in my Twitter stream. I I get that I have a little bit of an echo chamber, but um, yeah. I'm really surprised at how little I see that. And, you know, and it's it's true. Like I haven't really ever thought about him as that kind of guy, but I guess why not, right? Not like well, I, when you think about like what they are asking out of this role, and this is why I kind of feel like it's unfair. Like Christian Roldan keeps being called upon. I don't, I don't necessarily think Christian Roldan is a bad player, or that he shouldn't be part of the men's national team. Although that's a different conversation to be had i think that he's being asked to play a role that i don't think necessarily suits his skill set and i think that it's kind of almost caters marky delgado a little bit more and really honestly if he was part of the the men's national team pool jonathan osario um so yeah i think both of those guys are going to be kind of quasi uh x-factor type players when you come to the narrative that they're not going to be talked about very much yeah um i mean he's 
he's good. He's a good passer too. He got a really nice pass score, and um, I think it's uh, yeah. I, I think he's going to be a big part, and I, I do think he's kind of one of those guys that goes a little unheralded, uh, just because you know he's Marky Delgado, the guy that used to play for Chivas. He's been a big <laughs> part of that team for a while now. So yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, what do you think about this like backline situation here? I mean, you've got some you got some names to choose from here. Uh, oh, and they honestly they're not great names. Like how how they they were absolutely burned all year, and how no team has managed to to burn them is purely to the fact that they've played compact. They've played with more players in the back. They they've you know outnumbered, and I think that's kind of helped them you know cut down some, on some situations. I think it's also helped that they've forced teams to play a little bit more direct, which has allowed them their center backs are a little bit more physical. Um, you know they're a little bit slower, but they're also a little bit more physical. Uh, Mavinga, um, Gonzalez when healthy, and then also Simon are all three really good ball winners. Mm-hmm. All three really good in the air. All of them have a lost a step, and they're not necessarily quick to step to the ball. I think Rui Diaz could really, really carve this team up at times. Morris, uh, yeah. But I think on the other side of it is that if Seattle tucks in and goes route one, which let's face it, Seattle has had a habit of doing at times d- during the season, that's exactly what Toronto want because – they're going to be excellent. They're they're going to um, be able to clear ninety five to ninety six or to ninety eight percent of all balls. And so Seattle is just hoping that one manages to uh, kind of find its way through. And if you're if you're in that situation, um, it's it plays to Toronto's hand at that point in time. I think they did a pretty good job of shutting down Martinez. I mean, for the most part, like he was hardly at his most, um, you know, productive. I think he had three shots, maybe one on target. Uh, they got cut up by Gressel. Um, well, Gressel, Pity, and uh, Barco, all three did an uh, did an awesome job. It's not as if Atlanta didn't create chances. No, they certainly did. They certainly did. But I'm just thinking about like them and like looking at like okay, this is your focal point striker, and Seattle really do rely heavily on Rui Diaz for these kinds of things. Um, you know, like, do you think that Morris, Ladero, and um, I don't know Jones, I guess probably are going to be I, like, uh, you know, able to shoulder that like Barco? I, I think Morris can. I absolutely think Morris can. And, yeah. and I think that you'll probably see them. You, you'll definitely see uh, a lot of double teaming of Rui Diaz. And I think that it's going to have to be Morris. I think it's going to have to be uh, Jones that step up and take a big, big uh, chunk of this game. Because ultimately, um, the I mean, you look back at NYC, you look at uh, the Atlanta game, you look at DC United, and how they've handled the the game predominantly is they've chosen to pick out um, one player and pick on him and, and just completely shut him down against NYC. They did against Maxi, right? Um, they really did a great job of just suffocating Morales and, and preventing him from turning and being able to pass. I don't know if they can do it to both Ladero and to um, Rui Diaz. Um, I think they're going to have to pick one, to be perfectly honest. And I think that if they're not careful, um, especially with Bradley, he could overplay their hand, and it could create more space for Seattle if a missed uh, in a missed opportunity. But they they did a really great job shutting down that transition for NYC and play and and just boot to the face, man. Uh, that first half was really excellent and if they could repeat that that's that's ultimately what they're going to try to do yeah so um <clears throat> well what, what do you what do you think is going to happen harrison you know um it, it's about execution and I, it's kind of a cliche but seattle executed a perfect game plan against lafc and while lafc had a chance to win it it was less substantial because it, the their win percentage was a lot less uh, because Seattle executed it every they got every break they got every single so 
That being said, Seattle could execute a perfect game plan against Toronto, and Toronto still can win. And likewise, like Toronto can execute a perfect game plan, and a couple things go either way. Um, I think this is a really close game. I really do. I think that uh, I think Seattle have a little bit of steam on this just because a they're playing at home, and b because they have a more health they have a healthier squad. Uh, but look, uh, Toronto has obviously some really good players at their disposal and on top of that they've shown that they can handle teams from a tactical perspective and they've gotten they've gotten lucky uh same as seattle so it's kind of hard to say where this gonna land if i was to lean one way or another i'd probably lean towards seattle uh but i think it's i think it's a really close call yeah, I think this game is going to be close, and I wouldn't be super shocked to see it go into penalties even. Um, but I don't think it's going to be like a scoreless affair either. Uh, 2-1. I, I could see like a 2-2, 2-1, two, 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 uh, yeah. 3-2 kind of game happening. Uh, I don't I don't want to make a prediction think, because they're always I think that <laughs> Yeah, I think that almost plays into the Sounders' hands, A little bit though, more, yeah. Just because they have more healthy uh, attacking options. Uh, players at their disposal right mm-hmm. but um you know i think it's gonna be one of those things where it's it, it, it's so cliche but yeah it's not just execution but it's not it's not doing a stupid thing too um and so like if you give up penalty or you know get yourself sent off or i mean that's really hard to do in an mls cup final <laughs> but it's happened we've seen it happen right um you know, you do that, and that just changes everything. So I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see which team uh, kind of if both teams sort of like play a little more cagey because of that, or like you know, is it going to be the swashbuckling side that comes out and, <laughs> and does this, and you know, just like uh, <laughs> devil may care approach and just just play your heart out or whatever. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel comfortable making a prediction on this one. I mean, I think my head definitely says Seattle, but um, my head has been wrong significantly, like so much lately uh, that uh, I, I don't, I don't want to go on the record with anything. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna call a very nice game where both teams try their best and everybody learns something. Hey, so we're gonna get together here this weekend, right? It's true. That's true. We're we're like going to hang out together. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 crazy. It's it crazy. it it won't it won't be like uh, this weird like meetup that happens for five minutes and then I bail on you. That's true. That's true. Um, so yeah, we're gonna try to do a live podcast at a bar in Seattle. Um, just just gonna set an iPhone out and just talk. Yeah, you know, just, just talk. Really get into it and get real drunk. And no, I'm kidding. I don't think anyone wants to hear that from. No me. one's gonna hear that. That's not gonna happen. But uh, <laughs> it will indeed be rad. Uh, let's talk about uh, kind of what is going to happen with this show going forward. Um, I know we probably should discuss this off air first. <laughs> uh, yeah, but as we go into this off season, uh, you know, we're not going to go away. Uh, we're probably not going to be doing a, a weekly show to update you on nothing uh, for a couple months. Uh, but uh, we'll definitely do a season of review uh, like we've done in the past, try to review every team. Um, so and then you know there'll be some transactions and things of that nature but uh definitely we'll we'll, <clears throat> we'll meet up uh, sometime after mls cup to kind of give a, a post-mortem on off 2019 uh and then we'll kind of do more specific uh in in the weeks following that but but uh it will not be a regular weekly schedule i think i feel pretty comfortable saying that so yeah absolutely and we have we both have some stuff kind of cooking on the side uh if you got i if you know, the listeners, you got something that you guys want to throw uh, throw out to us. You got questions. You have ideas. Please hit us up. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're always, we really are uh, listening and mocking you most of the time. No, never. Uh, <laughs> that's all, man. Uh, all right. Thank you for listening. Um, thank you, as always, to my friend, my colleague, Harrison. You can find him on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at a handle for Ian. Um Follow uh, American Soccer Analysis. That's at Analysis Evolved. And please visit the website, www.americansocceranalysis.com. Really cool article up right now from uh, Jared about uh, sports business. 
that's underselling it. Uh, it's about a lot of things. It's really, really cool. Uh, you need to read it if you are interested in uh, like how franchise valuations and the economics of those sorts of things go. And, uh, you know, why may, why maybe MLS isn't such a Ponzi scheme and investing it might make some sense. Or, or maybe it is. Uh, it's a cool article. Check it out. Uh, we also have a couple of uh, interesting roundtable discussions. I really like the last one we did where we talked about home field advantage, um, which is just kind of everybody on the ASA staff just kind of like freeform ideas, trying to like work out stuff and interesting problems. I think those are really cool. Uh, so check that out as well. Um, that's it, guys. Uh, enjoy MLS Cup if you're uh, in attendance uh, and you see me. You won't know what I look like, but. If you hear my voice, you can come over and say, hey, uh, <laughs> same thing for Harrison, I guess. Uh, otherwise, uh, we'll be back with you in a couple weeks. Uh, until then, enjoy the Super Bowl of MLS Soccer.